Welcome to the What's the Word podcast. I am your host, Tiffany Johnson. Now, have you ever wondered, what does the Bible, Jesus, Christianity have to do with the current world today? Well, this podcast is going to take current events, pop culture, history, and from a biblical perspective, look at its importance today. As we go into the word, we're going to be asking each other, hey, what's the word? What is up? Welcome back to another week of What's the Word, the podcast. I am so sorry that I have been an absentee podcaster for about two weeks. Um, It has been a really busy month. It just really has. And so every time I wanted to get to the microphone, it has been just complicated. So I'm back and I'm so glad that you're with me and excited for what's going to be coming ahead, at least for the next couple weeks. So we are going to be looking at one of the best times of the year, which is Hallmark movie times. That's right. When it's fall, when it's about to be Christmas, particularly This is when we are in prime time Hallmark movie season. And so if you are like me and my friends, we enjoy watching them. We enjoy talking about them. We enjoy laughing at some of the plot points and then the other ones that kind of get us all in our feelings. And uh, we're going to be doing that for the next couple of weeks. You're going to join me and a couple of my friends as we talk through the plot points of some of the movies and the things that we learned from it and even the biblical things that we find in these films. But today I thought it would be fun just to talk about what it means to live a hallmark life, just overall, especially as believers in Christ. But first, I thought it would be fun to go over seven plot lines in any or all hallmark Christmas movies. So let's hit it. Hallmark movies, Hallmark movies, these are your plots. Hallmark movies, Hallmark movies, these are your plots. All right, number one is a deceased parent leads to other parent needing help from child, which leads to a love connection. Number two, the overworked child plans to skip Christmas, but gets fired and must return to his or her parents which leads to a love connection. Number three, the big city man or woman travels to small town to destroy it in the name of big business during Christmas time, always, and falls in love instead. Number four might be one of my favorites. Cold-hearted man hates children and or animals, but is forced to care for children and or animals at Christmas and needs help from a neighbor or co-worker, which leads to a love connection. Number five. One down-on-their-luck person receives a house or land from a distant relative, but so does a real estate developer lawyer. And though they don't see eye to eye, they will learn to love through remodeling this free house, a.k.a. real estate love connection. Number six. Bad attitude non-Christmas person reunites with old flame through very unlikely circumstances and falls in love because it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And last but not least, number seven, a person going through a really bad breakup must also keep the breakup from their parents, which leads to hiring someone to play their former flame. Wow. 
Now, I know that there are much more than these seven that we could probably think of at the top of our head, especially that person who has broken down their car somehow in this small town and meets a mechanic who, you know, happens to be also the mayor of the town. How do they come up with these? But we love them and I love them. So that is some of the most famous plot points in Hallmark movies. Hallmark movies, Hallmark movies, these are your plots. Hallmark movies, Hallmark movies, these are your plots. Well, I believe one of the reasons why we love Hallmark movies so much, maybe you're not a true fan, but maybe you enjoy some of the films that come out every year that are produced by the Hallmark Company. And I believe that there is a longing in the human heart for things that we see in these movies. Obviously, true love, love in the most unusual of circumstances, and that any single person, their life can be changed in a moment because of love. Now, I believe God made us to have these human longings because they're actually very possible in him. It's very possible in him to have the most unlikely of circumstances change because of his love for us. We have the situations in our own life, there's safety in love and having that safe place that no matter when your world is falling apart, that you can rely on love to always be there to catch you, to change you, to transform your situation. Because in a lot of these situations, there's a, a heart that is hardened. There's a person who has a life that's maybe so focused and so busy but somehow love comes in and it changes its course. I think it even moves my heart when someone who is in the most crisis of circumstances in their life has a situation that comes in and love tells a new story. It rescues them, sort of say, because there's something that happens in their life where they're at a critical moment and the script is flipped. Well, I kind of want to focus on a story kind of like that that we see in the Bible today, and it's the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is kind of like its own hallmark story, if you want to say it about love and what God does when he redeems somebody's story, even in the most tragic of circumstances. Now, the book of Ruth is one of the Bible's shortest books, telling its story in just four chapters. But it's four chapters filled with tons of material that tells us a narrative of a woman and a decision that she makes that completely changes her life in the midst of the most heartache, we open up the book of Ruth with a woman who has now lost her husband. And there's a story actually of two widows and a mother-in-law. The mother-in-law, we know her name is Naomi. Now, Ruth was a Moabite who basically marries into a Jewish family. So when her husband passes away and there's this whole incident where she has nowhere else to go, but she says to Naomi, hey, I'm following you. I mean, this is her mother-in-law, and I love this. And she says, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Well, this whole story has so much where it starts out with misfortune and then also ties to this family and loyalty even to Naomi, God's purposes and promises even to her through this engrafting of Ruth coming in. Now, the funny thing in the Bible the story kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. It's in kind of an odd place. It's in between history and all these history books. You have Joshua and Judges and Samuel and First Kings, Second Kings, all these things. You know, you have this Deuteronomy history, uh, but and that's all theological. And then here comes this story, this story about Ruth and Naomi, about this intimate 
relationship that these women have in the sense of family ties that will lead into something happening that will change the course of history in so many fantastic ways as you study history. So the question is to be asked, why would they place this book here? Why is it important? We will go deeper into that a little bit as we tell the story, but in this writing is more than just a love story. It's a turning of even legacy. It's a turning of a pivotal point of what will come from this and what will come after this that will change the course of all human history. And so I want to learn from learnreligions.com. I want to tell this story because I love how they wrote this out, and I feel like it was beautifully written. It says, During a famine, a man named Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons, Melon and Shalon. I'm probably saying all these words wrong, just so you know. I hope not. East from their home in Bethlehem and Judea to a country named Moab. After their father's death, the sons married Moabite women, Oprah and Ruth. They lived together for about 10 years until Malon and Shalon died, leaving their mother Naomi to live with their daughters, daughters-in-law. Hearing that the famine had ended in Judah, Naomi decided to return to her home, and she urged her daughter-in-laws to return to their own mothers in Moab. After much dispute, dispute Oprah acceded to her mother-in-law's wishes and left her weeping. But the Bible says Ruth clung to Naomi and uttered her now famous words, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. That is Ruth 1.16. Once they reached Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth sought food by gleaning grain from the field of a kinsman, Boaz. Boaz offered Ruth protection and food. When Ruth asked why she, a foreigner, should receive such kindness, Boaz replied that he had learned of Ruth's faithfulness to her mother-in-law, and he prayed that God, that the God of Israel would bless Ruth for her loyalty. Naomi uses this opportunity to have Boaz marry Ruth by invoking her kinship with him. She sent Ruth to Boaz at night to offer herself to him, but the upright Boaz refused to take advantage of her. Instead, he helped Naomi and Ruth negotiate some rituals of inheritance, after which he married Ruth. Soon they had a son, Obed, who fathered a son, Jesse, who was the father of David, who became the king of a unified Israel. And from that lineage would also come the lineage that is engrafted with Jesus in it. Now, God takes a story, a story of faithfulness, of love, of a woman devoted, and makes it into a story of righteousness, of amazing justice, of what God can do through life's most unusual, most crisis moments and famine and everything else that that was lost and destroyed. Even the son's names, Malon means sickness and Shalon means wasting in Hebrew. So God takes even out of sickness, out of the things that feel wasted, and brings forth a beautiful story of faithfulness, of kingship, of righteousness. Maybe you're listening today and in your life or in your family, you've had some crisis. Maybe you've had something that has felt impossible, whether it's itself, even in the name, Melon, sickness, or maybe in Shalon, you have felt like something in your life has been wasted. But it's amazing how God can bring out of that hope, covenant, and his faithfulness. 
He is the God of his promise. He is his God of his promises towards you, that he cannot be anything less than what he is, that he is faithful and that he's true, and that the God who began a good work will be faithful in your life to complete it as well. This is what I love about our story as we look at Hallmark stories and the things that wow our hearts or win us over or draw us into the plot line of whether it feels so ridiculous or so out there or so corny, but the things that actually touch close to home, the things that are in the longing of our human hearts for relationship and community, and that even in this, there's such a story about when we choose, when we choose God and God chooses us. You know, the thing about Ruth is that she could have just gone back and we would have never known her story. But out of her clinging even to her mother-in-law, even to the choice that she made that, you know, she made a decision in her heart, not just for Naomi, but for the God that she served, that she said, you know, your God will be my God. Therefore, your people will be my people. And in that faithfulness, God even said yes to Ruth, that even in that choosing of the heart, that God responded to her, even through this whole story. And the honor that Jesus would have felt to say, that is my great, 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 whatever, uh, grandmother. And that God even then was engrafting and telling a bigger story about how he was for not just for the Jews, but that he wants all to know who he is, all to have a relationship with him, and that this is the pivotal point, point of relationship. So why? Why in the midst of this? Because I think it tells the story of God's heart for relationship with us. It tells the, the thing in the midst of all these theological things that this is what the heartbeat is all about, is that when God chose us, it's love choosing us. And when we choose him, it's us as love choosing God. That this is the overflow of love in our hearts, that this is our worship and this is our adoration. That, you know, it's just as simple as going, God, you are my God. I am your people. I choose you to be my Lord. I choose you in every area. And I don't mean this just in the area of salvation. I choose, I believe this in every single area of my life is that I believe your Lordship is perfect. And to kind of close today, I know this isn't very long, but I wanted to share this is from my, even from my own life, things that I am learning and experiencing with the Lord when I talk about his lordship in every area of my life. Uh, and on my way to work, I like to have my time of devotion and pray and seek the Lord. I usually start out in the morning reading my Bible and listening to a teaching. And then on my way to work, I like to put on worship and just worship and just commune with the Lord and talk to him. Well, I have found myself crying almost every day recently driving to work uh, because I've been having to have honest conversations with the Lord. Things in my life that have been disappointing, things that I wish would have happened, things that I've just been just in so much pain and grief over. And, um, and so I have been having moments where I was talking to my mom about this the other day. I said, you know, I just started singing, you are good. You are good. You are good to me. And I started crying because I realized that there was things in my life because of pain, because of disappointment, I was not feeling that God was good to me. I was feeling like, God, it's been a long time since you've really been good to me. And it was amazing because I said, started singing, you are good. It started directly facing, like I felt like I was coming face to face with this, this 
opposition in my heart, with this offense that was living within me. And I was having to look at Jesus and say, you know what? You, I know, I know without a doubt you're good. I know you're good. You've been good to me. And all of a sudden I started thinking and seeing all the things I went, well, you were good to me here. You brought breakthrough here. I mean, there's so many things, A to Z, that I can see that you were good. And as I started laying down the offense, I started seeing that God had not given up on the dreams and the things in my life that I was having so many, so many offenses in my heart with. And it made me have a true conversation. But the hardest thing is I went, Lord, I trust you with this. Let me tell you, sometimes, <laughs> I'm just speaking for my own self, um, sometimes for me, it's like I know that he's my God. But I realize, do I really trust him with the things that are in my life and that are in my hand? Am I trying to figure it out on my own? And um, I realized there were some things that I had just had so much pain over that I honestly didn't know how God was going to bring it together. There's some things I'm still going, God, I don't know how you're going to change this situation. It feels very impossible right now. But I know that you're faithful to. I have seen your miracle work in my life. Obviously, when I got saved, I went from darkness to light. That was a miracle in and of itself. And so I know that you can do these things. I know it's possible. And it was amazing as I started letting go of control, as I started saying to the Lord, you know, I trust you with my pain. I trust you that you care about this. I trust that I trust you with my mom who's sick. I trust you with these things in my life. I started to feel the peace of God rush in like a river and where there was just constant angst in my heart, where there was constant um, pain in my heart. I felt the peace of God come in. Our, I remember years ago, I was reading something at Beth Moore's and she said, you know, the peace is the sign of his lordship. When we feel that divine peace, it's a sign that his lordship is present because it's in his hands. And I never forgot that statement because she also said a lack of peace is a lack of his lordship. And I, I know that, you know, how that looks um, for me is when I feel like I am just continually living in the burden, when I am continually living in the pain, where anxieties flood my soul, where I feel like fear has a hold on me. I can honestly say those are the areas I go, God, I need your lordship to come in and to speak a better word, to see from your perspective over this. Because as it says, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a power. He has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So everything that takes my sanity, everything that takes all those things are opposite of his kingdom, of his kingdom come and his will be done, being done in my life and in this earth and on this earth as it is in heaven for my situations and, and his, his deal in my life. And it isn't that he's not Lord or that he's not operating, but there is something that happens when I release the situation to him and I trust him in every single way, whether it's your own love story, whether it's something that's going on in your life that's, you know, with your own marriage or um, something that's happening in your family, a family situation or with friendships. There's so many things in our life that God wants to make a hallmark story from and take the things in our life and take them and make them new. He is a God of restoration. And I think Psalm 23 shows that so well to us is that in this, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, which means God, your leadership is perfect. I trust your leadership. So what does he do when we say, Lord, your leadership is perfect? Well, he restores our soul. 
He leads us to places of safety. But you notice that we start with safety and then he leads us head on into the place where our enemy dwells. And in that place, he crowns us and anoints us and changed the story. So God is the God who knows how when we come to him, even in our angst and our anxieties, that he's the the Lord who is our shepherd. He will restore our soul, but he will also take us even through through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not the actual, it's the shadow. and And I love this and you've heard it probably a thousand times, but it's only a shadow because he is the light in the darkness that walks with us. So when he walks with us as a light in the middle of our darkness, our darkness then becomes the shadow of darkness because the light is with us. And he takes us to a table and he anoints our head and he feeds us to to be able to feast. That's a place where you are at comfort. You know, that is, that's a place where if you get me at my dining room table, that's where I am I am like letting it go. You know what I mean? I, I'm not eating with anxiety. I'm not eating with uh, like trying to eat it as fast as I can. He brought him to a place where he could have community, a place where he could find comfort and he anoints in that place. And only God can lead us from the place of the valley into the place of triumph. And that's how God makes the story of our lives great. But it's only, of course, through that relationship where he knows him as a shepherd and then he knows him as as the king of kings. And there's all those aspects of our relationship with Jesus that he takes us through as we're honest with him about the things in our life and we give him lordship over. And I believe that how he knew him as a shepherd, something that David was comfortable with, something that he recognized even in in and of himself as a shepherd, he then sees him as something that is king of kings and lord of lords, which at that time he will need in the future, that he will need him as to know him as a king of kings and lord of lords, which is his appointed end as well. And God will take us through those journeys, showing us every aspect of who he is and what he is like in our journey. That really what got him through was that he was with the shepherd all along, that he was having a relationship with the king of kings all along. And through that relationship, God was restoring and replacing everything that was lost, all the pain that came into his life. And that is a hallmark story to me. And that's the story of David who would come from Ruth, from all these stories, that there are more than stories, but they're a tale of redemption. They're a tale of what God can do when love enters the room, when the love of God comes and makes himself known. So I hope today was a minister minister to you. I pray that God spoke to you today about his faithfulness to you because he is faithful. And as we go into these movies, I think we're going to have some fun. I hope we have some good laughs. But also, I know we're going to get back to the heart of it of what is God saying to us, even through these stories, even through these movies. I know they're not quote unquote Christian movies, but you know, I believe so many things. I enter God into everything in my life, whether it's the music I'm listening to, um, which man, right now, I'm just going to say, I love We the Kingdom. Man, they are so stinking good. If you have not checked out their newest album, I'm just, I'm plugging them. I don't know them, but they're amazing. And I just love their new, their new album, period. Um, but there's everything in our life I bring God into because he's everything in my life. And um, I mean, if you don't believe that God wants to be a part of every single part of your day, I pray that you know today that that's who he is. And I think that even in Hallmark movies, as it shows the story of everyday life, 
you have a God of your everyday life. He's not just waiting for you on Sunday. He's waiting for you Monday through Saturday, every single day to walk with you because we're only promised today, my friends. So why not live for him wholeheartedly today? Why not today, if you have something going on in your heart, if you have anxiety, if you have fear, if you have disappointment and offenses in your heart, why not bring it to him today? Because you're not promised tomorrow. Well, I'm not promised tomorrow. But we are promised that if we believe him and we receive him, we will see him again. We are made to have a relationship with him. And today, you will have an opportunity, just like I have an opportunity, to bring it before the Lord and say, Jesus, this is what's really real in my life. Will you come and show your lordship in this area of my life? I surrender it to you today. I believe that simple. God can do a mighty work. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I just thank you that you are above and beyond what we could ask, think, or even imagine. I thank you that even my knowledge of you, God, you so far surpass what I have even known of you yet. And I just ask that even for every single person listening, that today that you would encounter their hearts, that you would show them that you are the way, the truth, the life in every single way, situation in our lives, God, that you are the way through that you are the light of the world that shines in our darkness, that you are the life, the life that brings life into the situations that feel like they are uh, encompassing about us, that we feel like we might drown. Lord, I thank you that you are the truth, that you are the truth when the enemy lies to us and tells us that uh, whether we're not worth it or the lies over the situation that you won't come through. Lord, I thank you that you are the way, you are the truth, and that you are the life, the life of God touching our hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that today that you would write our stories, that you would write upon our hearts what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that for also our families and our friends, Lord, that you would show yourself to them to be the same. Lord, I just thank you for every listener today, and I ask that you would bless them, that you would keep them, cause your face to shine upon them, and they're rising up and then they're going out, Lord God, today and forevermore. Amen. Well, today felt like I just went on a ramble today, but I pray that in the rambling that Jesus really did encounter you, encouraged you, and even if you just listened all the way through to this, thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast really is made to be an encouragement to the body, to be an encouragement to one another that Jesus is in the everyday. That's why the what's the word stands for What is God saying? What is he saying in pop culture? But what is he saying through his word to us? That God is always speaking to us and we want to catch it. We want to be caught in what he is saying and what he is doing. And I believe that it seeds the the church. In fact, I believe that God is in the highways and the byways calling many sons and daughters to come to the wedding, meaning that he is calling us to his relationship and that he is not just sitting up up there observing, but we serve a God who is in the midst of us. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And so I, I love that about God. And I pray that even today that you will catch that God is in Emmanuel. He is God with you. He's in the midst of us right now. So God bless you. I look forward to this Hallmark time. I'm excited to have my friends back with me. Uh, some familiar, some new. And it's going to be awesome. All right. God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to What's the Word, the podcast. I am so glad that you joined us today. If you feel like this message would minister to someone else, I encourage you to share it with them, to like and hit subscribe. And next month is coming the new playlist for your November music playlist, the best of Christian artists and the music that we all love. And this new series, It's a Hallmark Life, it's coming very soon. I'm excited about the Hallmark movies that we're going to break down and go through and talk about their redemptive qualities that we can also see in the Bible. Isn't that fun? That's what it's all about. Well, thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time on What's the Word, the podcast.